No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So, as usual, if you have not seen the title, we are discussing the least used commanders of the uh, of the current uh, season. Now, we are taking this from stats, uh, and we wanted to go over the least used rather than the um, you know the worst performing commanders to kind of you know, put them put them in the spotlight and see if we can maybe uh, get some people to, you know, test out some of these commanders that are, you know, being picked the least. But uh, as usual lately, I am accompanied by my co-host, Cyrus. Thank you for joining me. Oh, no problem. Happy to be here. Now, I have to begin with an apology for last week's episode. My audio was absolutely horrendous. And there there might be one thing that I've beaten Brett on and and that would be the audio quality of my last episode. It was the worst <laughs> I think I could have produced. So I have to apologize to the listeners. I will not be doing that setup again. And uh we will be going back to the tried and true headphones and microphone. Yeah, it's uh it definitely makes a big difference. So, for tonight, uh me and Cyrus will be splitting up some of the commanders to talk about them. Uh we'll be doing the least used commander for each faction. Um so, but before we kind of get into all that, you know, I just want to thank everyone, you know, kind of at the beginning of the show, you know, I really do appreciate all of you that do listen in uh, combined through all the different platforms that we're on. Uh, You know, it's not like, you know, YouTube or some other uh, platform out there where we need everyone to be all, you know, all on the same page and listening the same way so that we can, you know, have like this huge subscriber account we just kind of, you know, throw it out there, throw out our episodes and, you know, anywhere that'll stick and, you know, that way you guys can listen to it on whatever platform is easiest for you. Um, I know I've asked this in the past and uh, I think someone had mentioned iHeartRadio, but if anyone else has any other platforms they would like to see us uh, uh, mirror our content onto, definitely uh let us know because we're open to that, especially if it's something easy that we can just kind of throw the, the link to it and it auto-upload. Uh, you know, something like that would be super simple. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I appreciate all of you that listen to us on any of the platforms that we are currently on, which is like, I don't know, nine of them, I think, at this point. Uh-huh. So, um you know, just wanted to shout that out, you know, because we, we do this for you guys. You know, we, we know that some of you guys out there are really craving content, and, um, you know, sometimes it can be kind of hard 
to find, especially if you're uh, one of those people like me and just fly through the content that uh, is available and then, you know, you feel like you're left sitting there with your, you know, thumbs uh, twiddling as you uh, are trying to find something else to listen to. So I hope you uh, don't mind our ramblings uh, week to week, but I do appreciate you guys. So Cyrus, uh, you know, you was kind of um, mostly your uh, idea to kind of go over this topic. So what kind of, you know, what was the idea behind it and why you know, like you kind of had the the thought to talk about this topic? So this idea did come up in our Discord uh, for show suggestions, and it just struck me a little bit because we do have a fair amount of list overlap, you know, a lot of things that are run a lot more than others. And it, it, it kind of hit me, like, maybe we should address some of these commanders and list types that aren't getting run right now. Maybe there are players out in the game that have been avoiding these guys because maybe they heard that they're bad or maybe they don't like their play style or, or don't think that they like their play style and they might be worthwhile to give a shot. So we went with the least run commanders, not the worst, although there will be some overlap here of the worst and the least run with some good reason. But even so, even with, some of the least run and some of the worst commanders, there's still possibilities there that, that, uh, that can be made that can be taken advantage of with, uh, with, you know, good play and repetition and things like that. There's, there's nothing in the game that is, is I mean, we, we, we joke about it all the time about how things are, are dead and unplayable. There really isn't anything like that. There's things that are better than others and there's things that give you a better chance of winning than others, but there is nothing on the field that is an active detriment to your game. Everything has abilities. Everything can roll dice and defend and all of that. So when we talk about these, uh, even though they're, they're, not well, they're not run often and, they're, and they may not perform well, they could still be fun, and they might still be worth looking into. Uh, so when I was coming up with the, this list, I did use stats uh, pick rate for the commanders. I avoided using Hero Box 3 stuff because Hero Box 3 just came out within the last couple months. Not everybody has gotten an opportunity to get them in their hands, and if they have, they haven't gotten very many games with them. So there's probably going to be some commanders in Hero Box 3 that were going to be on the list just because they're new. Didn't want that. So we dis we discluded those, and we're looking mostly at commanders that have been in the game for a while that have had opportunities to be played. And I mostly looked at the Season 1 of 2021 pick rates for these. And uh, now some of these were kind of surprising. Uh, other ones, uh, not so much. Other ones uh, made perfect sense. Uh, for why they might have the lowest pick rate. Now, th this was, uh, I looked at this a couple weeks ago. It might have changed. Maybe there is a new commander that is now uh, higher than some of these. But uh, when I gave the list, and we're going to be covering, uh, I was going to say all eight factions, but in fact, there is only seven factions and one kind of faction. They're not a real faction. They just happen to have a tactics deck. 
So uh, you ready to get going, or do you have anything that you wanted to cover before we start breaking down these commanders? No, I think uh, we're good to get into it. Uh, you want to take us away with uh, one of the factions? All right, let's begin with Night's Watch. Now, when I looked at this, I was fully expecting the least run commander to be the worst commander in Night's Watch, uh, but that wasn't the case. Um, I, the, the, right now, it's widely accepted that Alistair Thorne is the worst uh, commander in Night's Watch, but the least run currently is actually Benjen Stark, First Ranger, Benjen Stark on foot. And this was kind of surprising. I see a lot of people uh, talking about Benjen Stark uh, and his cards and his interactions, the wombo combos that you're able to pull off with his hit and run and uh, Night's Watch uh, Shadow Tower Spearman. Uh, I don't really rate that combo very, very highly because it's rather fragile. If you're counting on pulling that off when somebody's charging you, it's like, ha ha, I attack you and then I retreat and you get no charge. Combination of uh, being able to turn off orders or being able to turn off tactics cards, and that combination completely falls apart, and your spearmen are probably going to die. So I avoided that combination when I was looking at at, at a list for him. Uh, obviously, he loves ranger units. I mean, every single one of his cards has some uh, benefit to having a ranger unit on the field. So, obviously, you're going to feature Ranger Hunters. I threw a Watch Captain in with the Ranger Hunters because, of course, you will. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, Ranger Trackers, which are a good unit uh, to feature. Uh, but if you're dealing with uh, movement shenanigans, I, I threw in a Watch Marshal as well uh, for his tactical reposition because you got a bunch of units on the field. They're kind of squishy. So getting extra uh, mobility out of them uh, could save them from, from end up getting in trouble. And then Benjamin Star, I actually threw him uh, as the centerpiece unit. I threw him in a unit of Bastards Girls. Uh, his attachment, being able to give Bastards Girls an additional uh, plus one movement and being able to pivot before marching just means that they could get just about anywhere and become a problem along with uh, his other tactics card of lying in wait and potentially getting a free ranged attack from Bastards Girls, which could lead into a charging volley. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's very potent. It's a very strong combination that you might be able to pull off. Uh, and NCUs are a standard suite of NCUs. You got Othel Yarwick, Bowen Marsh, and Amon. Uh, you got a lot of ranged threats with this list. Uh, a lot of, of annoyance and nuisance. Your ranged units are probably not going to get tied up because you do have access to hit and run. Uh, and then Hunter's Insight, being able to, again, uh, have more maneuverability with the shift actions, uh, not being being able to reroll your charge distance on, say, your, your Bastard Girl's charging volley. You might be able to squeeze out more range. Uh, and then, or the, the, one of the best abilities of Hunter's Insight is the enemy may not be able to use uh, orders or taxes cards for the remainder of the turn. If that's the case, uh, that Bastard's Girl's charging volley, the entire time they can't use orders or tactics cards when they're getting shot and charged, super powerful. Uh, 
So the the combinations are strong, but I can see kind of why Benjamin Stark isn't run because he tends to favor really squishy units. And if you make a mistake with those, they, they start to evaporate on you. Uh, even with Amon's healing, uh, it, it, it's hard to keep them in the game. So I think that's one of the reasons why, because uh, Night's Watch more or less kind of wants to hang in and, and fight uh, with their sworn brothers. And if they're going to do ranger hunters, you at least want to have one unit that's capable of standing and fighting. You don't think you want to have an entire army of squishy mobile units. Although maybe, I mean, it, it could be a play style that hasn't been fully embraced yet, but that's what I was thinking with uh, a bench and Stark list and possible tactics to be able to utilize him. Uh, what do you think? I like it. I personally really like Benjamin Stark. I would I would argue to say for myself, he's probably my favorite or second favorite uh, Night's Watch commander. Now, Night's Watch is kind of in a funny spot for me uh, in particular, just because uh, my nephew plays them uh, all the time, or as his main faction, and I play him all the time. So I don't get to play Night's Watch as much as I would like. But when I do, I often experiment a lot with uh, with Benjin, just because around here he's uh, also the least played. Um, you know, so it's always it's always nice to kind of experiment with some of the stuff that you don't see that often, at least in person. Um, so I'm not necessarily surprised that uh, he's the least played. Uh, and uh, in my opinion, from my experience of playing games with him, I'm also not surprised at the fact that he's the least played, but not the weakest commander or lowest performing commander for the Night's Watch. Yeah, I don't think it was that surprising. Uh, I I really dislike Alistair Thorne, and he has the rightful place as being the the weakest Night's Watch commander. I think Benjamin's capable of some some good stuff, and if anybody has been on the fence with him, uh, he's definitely worth a look because he can he can pull off some stuff that's going to have your opponent going. Um, wait a minute, that's not good. I mean, just imagine a free ranged attack charge, and then you still have your activation to go from from his bas- the bastards girls. And if you pull off a, a flank 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 charge, you're going to have them panicked and weakened. And bastards girls have vicious, so it's going to hurt. Uh, yeah, and, and you do lose a little bit from bastards girls being a neutral unit. Uh, you don't get to attach the vows, but. Uh, it's a, it's a small price to pay for just a, a strong combination. All right. So, um, moving on, I will start with uh, probably the hardest one on my list to kind of discuss just because I personally uh, use him the least as well uh, in Free Folk, and that would be the Weeper. Um, but I have used him, uh, I would say, two or three times, uh, and he has performed pretty well. But uh, So here's kind of a list that I have um, used him in and has worked to some uh, decent success, uh, and that's 
I have the Weeper and some Followers of Bone. Um, for me, it just kind of makes makes sense to get that, uh, you know, to help trigger that um, uh, weakened resolve to make someone panicked. He also has the Grizzly example, start a turn. He's basically a, um, I don't know if you'd say a worse or better Theon. Uh, start of any turn, this unit suffers a wound and target all enemies short range and they become panicked. So um, you're always going to have the ability as long as Weeper is alive, so you don't have to roll and then have your Weeper die like you would with Dion. But you're always taking a wound every time you do that. But that will also fuel the rest of the list, which is uh, two more followers of Bone, each with a champion of Bone, because that will give them intimidating presence. I have a Free Folk Raider unit with Tormund uh, for that war cry throwing out some more uh, so vulnerable and a uh, panic token. Uh, I have some more Free Folk Raiders with the Walrus Chieftain. This is just kind of my anchor unit uh, because the rest of the list is somewhat flimsy. This gives me something, uh, you know, to kind of, with my superior activations, gives me something I can kind of throw at my opponent's big... Uh, you know, super unit that's going to try to, like, one-shot everything I have. Then I have another Raider unit with Jon Snow, the Crow Come Over. Uh, the reason for this unit is that Southern Knowledge, once per game at the start of any turn, target one enemy in long range and line of sight. Till the end of the turn, they lose all abilities and cannot be the target of friendly tactics cards. This helps ensure kind of like my my combos go off especially with the Followers of Bone, because with the Weeper, you're coming in with a remorseless examples. You can start throwing out those uh, course piles that give out the hindering and the grim reminders. Enemies suffer minus one to the morale test roll and plus one wound from failing panic tests in short range. So as I've mentioned probably like two or three times now, you know, you take these Followers of Bone with a Champion of Bone and you now charge like the flank with a uh, with a panic token because of either Weeper or Warcry, and with a um, remorseless examples corpse pile. Uh, I mean, it's it's basically a dead unit. Like, there's almost no way that unit is surviving because the panic test alone not to mention whatever your attacks end up being. Like, you could just have one attack go through, and the unit may not die if you only have one attack go through, but, I mean, they're just the panic test alone is going to be, what, it's one for the flank, two for vicious, one for uh, intimidating presence, uh, and then um, there's too many for three more, and then remorseless examples, uh, uh, course pile. So you're looking at a minus eight, with a plus uh, three, four, with a plus five. So D3 plus five. So at minimum, uh, six wounds and their pan panic tokens. So, I mean, more than likely it's uh, seven or eight wounds just from the panic test. Um, and then with a minus, what would I say, seven or eight, it's most often going to be an automatic fail. And again, with a panic token, even if they needed like an 11 or a 12, I mean, good luck. So uh, he's definitely 
panic focused. So you're going to want to, and that's kind of like, that's why my list is kind of built around it. Um, you really want to kind of drive home his, uh, what he's doing. Um, now again, this is a, this is a list that can be quite, uh, fragile. So you're definitely going to have to play it, uh, be very maneuverable with it. Um, you can fall into, you know, if your opponent has really great ranged units or cavalry units, they could really get the beat on you. But then again, the opposite could be true. If you if you can get the beat on your opponent and they don't have uh, spectacular morale, like a four up or better, because even five up with this list is a lot of the times going to be failing a lot of those tests because a lot of the tests are going to be at least minus three, if not four or five, depending on what you're doing with uh, with plenty of panic tokens going around. Um, and then for the NCUs, uh, you can kind of change these out. Um, I, for me personally, uh, as a free folk player, I like um, Manson Craster. I know a lot of people out there love Egret, and I love Egret too. She's probably like right there on the list. I know a lot of people though love like Lady Val. I'm not really a huge Lady Val fan. Um, for me, I'm looking to really cycle through my entire deck. When you have Craster and Mance in the same uh, list, uh, and with how easy it is to play a lot of these Taxus cards, combo of NCUs, you're really just you're flying through your deck. Um, he also has Cruel Methods, so at the start of any turn, you can expend a Panic Token um, to choose two. One friendly infantry unit uh, within long uh, in long range stores two wounds, uh, and it can be selected multiple times. Or the enemy becomes vulnerable, enemy becomes weakened. So a nice uh, you know with the handful of panic tokens you're throwing out. Granted, you're probably going to want those panic tokens a lot of the times for your attacks to really make sure that they go through. But like I said, when you're almost making your panics auto-fail, a lot of the times you don't need that panic token, and that vulnerable weaken might come in handy. Like like I said, if you if you charge in, you only do that one wound, then you know that uh, vulnerable token is really going to come in handy to push through that extra damage on the on the initial attack before the panic test. Uh, not to mention just the healing. Um, free folk don't have a ton of healing. They may be the horde faction, but they're not they're not like Greyjoys. They don't have like this insane amount of healing. So um, the fact that the Weeper gives a nice uh, heal card of four wounds on top of the uh, regroup and reform, which isn't technically a heal card because you're just transferring wounds, but still something where you could be transferring, you know, wounds from one of these raider units into the followers unit and then uh, using his cruel methods to also heal. Um, and to keep in mind that um, you can uh, cruel methods at the start of your opponent's turn, heal four and then at the start of your turn, regroup and reform. So you could really combo a bunch of wounds back into a unit. Now, lastly, he does have Price of Failure. Uh, this is a card that we have talked about in the last couple episodes. And this one, unfortunately, in my opinion, is kind of a, a get-rid-of card um, for the reasons we've talked about before. I don't really know of any good combos in Free Folk with this card, um, whereas other factions, as we've mentioned, 
have some play. Like uh, fuel by slaughter is the, I, in my opinion, the number one thing because you're gonna heal those wounds back up. So you're almost negating the downside of the card. But uh, free folk don't really have something like that uh, that I can think of that's gonna you know, offset that card. But like I said, if you're running the same NCUs that I uh, that I mentioned, Mance Craster, drawing this card isn't a big deal because you're gonna be able to. Um, kind of ditch it and just get more cards. Uh, or, I mean, worst case, you know, if you need it as a finisher, you know, if you're playing it on one of your raider units and you need to finish your uh, the enemy off and you don't mind taking some wounds on a raider unit, then by all means, play the card. Um, but it definitely is uh, the most situational part of the, of the list. So I like the Weeper. Uh, even though he's the least run, I think he, his uh, combinations are, are are fascinating of what he could potentially pull off. Uh, if you can play the Panic game and you have the resources to do it, uh, you can be effective. Uh, now, you you look at like Panic factions, like uh, the Lancers are deemed to be a Panic faction. Uh, they're not able to do it so well because they can't increase those activations and be able to get the most out of each of their you know, abilities, their attacks, their modifiers, that sort of thing. But if you're playing the panic game as free folk, it could be really, really effective, I think. Uh, and if Mance wasn't a thing, I think that you see the Weeper a lot more often. Cruel Methods is a great card. Uh, the healing possibilities or the token possibilities by extending a panic token, which are probably going to be recurring anyway. And I know you mentioned price of failure. I, I, I bashed price of failure the majority of the time I've been playing the game. Here's where I think it's okay. In free folk, the vast majority of your units are trying to trade up. If you have a four-point unit that's attacking a unit that's five, six, seven, even eight, and you're in you, you're in an advantageous position, maybe you've been able to surround that unit and you're in the flank or the rear, you're able to trade up with that unit. If you get all of your hits, then you have the potential of, of trading up really well. And uh, this price of failure, unlike Alistair Thorne, going back to Alistair Thorne, one of the reasons why I hate him, uh, his price of failure is melee attack only. This one is on any attack. So you could potentially, if you got your trappers in an advantageous position and you've been peppering units with traps all day, and then you go ahead and shoot and all of your shots hit, that unit could be in some trouble. Now you're going to take some wounds back, but again, it's a four-point unit. You're not too worried about it. And if you're able to pick off a higher-value target, it's worth it for you. But another thing that I really like is remorseless examples. I wish this was a bigger thing because being able to play with this card, it, it's so fun to me. What it is, for anybody that doesn't know, because it's, it's, I think it's only in two commanders. I think da Daenerys Targaryen, Queen of Marine has it, and I think he has it. You kill a unit, everything nearby uh, within long range becomes – oh, no, one enemy in long range becomes panicked. Nah, that's not really that big of a deal. But if you kill a unit, 
you place a course pile on the table, and that course pile gains hindering and grim reminders. Enemies suffer minus one to morale test plus one wound from failing panic tests while in short range. Now, the reason why that's worded so differently is because that stacks with corpse piles. Because one unit has one terrain piece has horrific, this terrain piece has grim reminders. And this minus one to morale test only affects enemies. So you could be near it and be fine, but if your opponent is near it, they're suffering the negative effects. I think that's cool as heck, and I wish that that type of uh, thing was more common in the game. Uh, But yeah, I love that. I like his uh, attachment. It works very much like Ramsey does. In fact, he has uh, another card that Ramsey has as well with his cruel methods of being able to kill a, a unit and it's in a, or kill a model in his unit to be able to throw out panic tokens all over. Uh, I like that sort of thing. So yeah, I think that the weeper's fine. I do understand he might be the least run. I mean, there's some bigger names that you want to run. Uh, obviously Mance, uh, Steyer, Tormund, uh, mostly Tormund for his uh, recognizability, his, his namesake. Uh, and then, Maybe some carryover from how Harma, how popular she was in the last edition. Uh, he's just towards the end of the list, uh, not as popular, but I think he could be fun and and uh, pretty wild playstyle. All right, so back to me. Let me pull up my list because I've been looking at tactics cards. All right, let's talk. Let's go to Lancers. All right. So the least run Lancer commander is Joffrey Baratheon, who also happens to be not the worst, but towards the bottom. Uh, and there's a few reasons why. First off, let me say I loved Joffrey Commander uh, the entire time I've been playing the game. I just think the Kingsguard has always been a cool as hell unit. Uh, now, they used to be better. Uh, they, they, they started out absolutely wild, uh, with a very significant drawback of they could never heal. But when they had that drawback removed, I thought that they were amazing. Now, that was before the 2021 update where uh, they got toned down just a little bit more, and they're hovering in that area of uh, really cool but just not quite good enough. I still think that he's capable of some wild and and good combinations in the game, even though he's still having to pay for the fact that the Kingsguard are six points. There are so many drawbacks associated with Joffrey just because the Kingsguard are a thing. Uh, it, it is pretty funny because the, the drawbacks to his tactics cards enough to justify what the tactics cards do. So it's almost you're, like you're still paying that Kingsguard tax. It's funny to think about but even so, even though you still have those downsides, I still think he's fun, and I I, I still play him uh, when I get the chance. Uh, so if if you're if you've if you've heard that Joffrey's terrible, stay away from Joffrey. Still give him a shot because the Kingsguard are a really cool unit. So here's my list uh, for Joffrey to you should try it out. This is not a complicated list. I won't be talking about this for very long. Joffrey and the Kingsguard, House Clegane Mountains Men, two units of Flayed Men, Pycelle, Peter, and High Sparrow. 
Now, the reason why I went with this, I love double heavy cab lifts. They've, they've always uh, been something that I've been drawn to. And the reason why I like double flayed men in this list is the possibilities that You Will Obey Me can give you. A You Will Obey Me gives you plus two attack dice and sundering. Plus two attack dice and sundering on flayed men is insane. There's not going to be very many units that are going to be able to stand up to it. Now, just about every unit in the list has Vicious, except for the Kingsguard. So one of the worst cards in the game is probably going to be one that you toss. That's traders. I will have their heads. You're only going to get use from it if a unit is about to die and you have the Kingsguard nearby that's going to finish them off. Uh, otherwise, you got to toss it. And then I am the king. I've actually found some decent uses for I am the king, uh, especially if you draw them close together. If you play them back-to-back, you can avoid getting the tokens thrown on you a second time. So, uh, particularly the weakened token. Sometimes your opponent will not spend the panic token. Uh well, I should probably tell you what the card does. So uh, play the card, you block two hits. After the attack is completed, the defender becomes panicked and weakened. Now, weakened on the King's Guard, not a huge big deal because they're hitting on twos. Uh, so it, it, it's not great, but it's not bad. And then the panic token, again, not great, not bad, because they essentially have five morale with, uh, Iron Resolve minus one wound to fail panic test. So if you're using I Am the King specifically on the King's Guard, it's not as bad. Otherwise, it's a card that you want to throw out there if you're if you're literally skirting the line between life and death on a unit. And then the NCU Suite again is pretty standard for uh, for Lannisters. Uh, Peter because you want to get you know good zone control. High Sparrow, because you got these heavy cav with Vicious flying around. If you're getting failed panic tests, the uh, heel swings that you're going to be able to be capable of are pretty wild. And then Pycelle throwing out weakened tokens, trying to help safeguard your, your King's Guard and your Mountain Spend, trying to keep them in the game for as long as possible. But really, you're just looking for those, those big attacks featuring Flayed Men and I am the... Or, uh, Played men and you will obey me. So that's it. That's all I'm really looking for with this list. Uh, even with the downsides, with Joffrey uh, providing two additional victory points if he dies, and the other downsides associated with his tactics cards, I still think that this would still be fun to play, especially with the King's Guard. It's a it's it's a, it's such a cool unit. The Baratheon banners, uh, the the non deteriorating. Uh, uh, attack pool uh, for their ranks. Um, it's 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 a fun unit. It's worth it's worth it's worth playing, even though it's it's not uh, it's not quite at the power level it should be for all the drawbacks that you have. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, Joffrey is definitely underrated. Um, the fact that you know he's the least used. Um, Again, it doesn't really surprise me for the fact that, you know, he he is a very niche uh, commander. You know, he has a very specific uh, 
you know, the set of, uh, you know, tactics that you have to use. You know, he's not easy to pilot. Now, granted, he's not like rocket science to use. Uh, there's some, definitely a lot of commanders out there that are far harder to use than him, but he's definitely far from an easy commander to use. Um, with that said, I think uh, Joffrey's biggest um, enemy, his biggest hurdle, is really just the mission. Uh, I think the, you know, I would say more often than not, the mission is what beats Joffrey than it is the opponent's list, um, if that makes sense. It, uh, I would say anyone that has been on the fence about running Joffrey or never really thought about running him before, especially if you're doing like a, a, a casual uh, tournament where it's a two-list format, uh, you know, most tournaments are, I'd run Joffrey as your second list for the simple fact that, you know, if that mission comes up that's not favorable to him, just don't pick Joffrey. You know, pick the other list. But your opponent doesn't have to know that. He doesn't have to know that you've built your Joffrey list specifically for certain missions. Um, you know, in particular, like, uh, you know, you don't want him in um, uh, Clash of Kings. uh Granted, they've they've changed it a bit to where, to where it's not as bad when he dies, but it's still you know uh, a mission that uh, encourages your opponent to gun for him. Now you can always play around that, but I think uh, you know just kind of building him, building a list uh, that you know as you were, you were saying, Cyrus, your list is like the perfect example. I think of the kind of list you're you're probably going to want to build with him. He is very risky, and for that, you kind of have to build a like a all-in-your-face type of list, you know, something that's going to really keep your on their back foot the whole game, if possible, uh, you know, because he's not he's not really going to fit the best, in my opinion, in a list that's trying to like you know just dance around and do other things. You know, he wants to get in your face, use his powerful cards to really, you know, turn the, you know, turn the table to his advantage early, um, especially with these hard hitters like the Flayed Men or if you run Knights of Castle Rock or whatever the case may be. Um, and that way you can, you can really, uh, you know, put some pressure on your opponent. But personally, I, I really like Joffrey. I think, uh, you know, he has... Again, he's he's very niche. He has a very specific like tactic to him, and I think that's part of the uh, part of the appeal. I am the king. Uh, you know, maybe <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> he's the he's um, the rightful he was the rightful king. He got coronated and everything. No, the rightful king is uh, currently. You know, spoiler alert for anyone reading the books, the the Rightful King is currently with the Golden Company on the boat in the sea headed towards Westeros, if not already there. I forget where exactly they're at. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he has a claim. Yeah, claim, shmame. Fame. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, let's see. So next up, I'll jump into 
a commander that I've always really liked, but um, again, I can definitely see why he's the least used. Um, he's not easy to pilot uh, with his set of uh, particular abilities and tactics cards, and that is Davos Seaworth for Baratheons. So I've re- I, I made this list a long time ago, and it's kind of... It's, it has stood the test of time um, as far as, like, because I built this, like, way back when 2021 first came out, and I've kind of kept it as is. So there's nothing, like, brand new in here or nothing, like, completely out there. But uh, one thing I really do like about the list is it has eight activations, which until recently was not easy for Baratheons to do. Uh, and I say recently because uh, now you're seeing a lot of eight activation uh, high garden lists uh, with the uh, high garden pikemen and the um, uh, riders of high garden and whatnot. So, but for my list, I have, uh, I think in my opinion, the obvious choice for him. I have him in house Bolton bastards girls. Uh, the reason being is he gives uh Pathfinder, ignoring dangerous, hindering, and rough keywords, and outflank. Now, outflank is for iffy. Uh, the reason being is you face Targaryens, they could have uh, um, uh, field control. You And there's some other things. Or if your opponent decides to, uh, you know, um, go second, then you have to possibly bring them on first turn which is not a great thing to do. It's not horrible, but it's not great in my opinion. And if you don't, then your opponent takes it round the horse round two, and then uh, then you're not bringing them on until um, round three. Uh, so it really is iffy. Now, granted, depends who you're playing. Uh, if you're playing a more casual game against uh, some opponents that aren't as uh, competitive. They might not even realize, you know, doing it in that order can really screw up outflank. <clears throat> so you might be able to get away with getting them on earlier than uh, than a lot of games would let you. So Davos and Bastard Girls. Then I got Sentinels with Bronn, um, a unit of Wardens, another unit of Wardens, and, and a Dragonstone Noble. Now for the NCUs, I have Alistair Florent. Peter Baelish, and this third one, um, this list is really specifically designed for a two-list format, so keep that in mind. So you definitely could swap out this last NCU, which is Walder Frey. Um, and that's because, obviously, if your opponent like has three NCUs that could really throw a wrench in things, then it won't really necessarily feel like an optimal eight activation list. But the reason for this is um, you've been seeing a, a a, a bigger surge in two NCU lists, especially now that a lot of things have changed. Now you still see a lot of three NCU lists. Don't get me wrong, but I think like back, you know, it's it's steadily declined from the what it once was. Uh, so if you can face someone who only has two NCUs, I'm not saying this because I think this three NCUs is so much better than two NCUs. I'm just saying this because Walder, in particular. Uh, three NCU list with Walder against a two NCU list. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, play, you know, a lot of things you could do, especially because you're running Alistair and Peter in there. Um, and kind of the importance of having both of them in there is uh, 
you can Alistair onto the maneuver, bring on your Bastard Scrolls, and then move him over to a different zone. Um, or uh, Alistair and or Peter and Peter's once per game help you trigger Brawn. And the importance of triggering Brawn is because Sentinels in particular, uh, they're very, you know, for what you're paying, six points, they're just mediocre defense. But with Brawn, on the wealth or with you having the wealth zone, Braun will make him a three up save and a five up morale. Now that turns them into a pretty defensive unit. Um, and they're going to have the order Sentinel on top of the fact that you're going to have the Dragonstone Noble that's going to also have Sentinel. So the key is that you're going to optimally want to outflank the Bastard Girls every game. Now again, like I said, that is super risky depending on if you're going first or second, how uh, used to your, uh, outflank your opponent is, and so on, and the answers they may have for it. But the idea is to outflank the Bastard Girls because outflanking Bastard Girls into the rear of anything is huge. And not to mention, if your opponent then decides to turn around to face them, and you have two units with Sentinel, and you can like sandwich your opponent to where if they if the Sentinel units are within long of the Bastard Scrolls, when they turn around and then charge you, you can now get that free Sentinel charge into the rear. Um, so you bring them on, you do that, you know, a rear char a rear shot then charge with Bastard Scrolls into a lot of things. See, they're going to outright kill it or cripple it so bad that it's really going to be a huge advantage to you. Now, um, also keep in mind that Bron will give the Sentinels motivated by coin. So not only do they have the ability through Sentinel to get a free charge into an enemy, they have their own activation to attack, plus the potential to take the combat zone and or wealth zone. So there's a high probability that this unit could be attacking three times in a round, or at least twice in a round. And, you know, though they may only be hitting on fours, they have decent attack dice with 7-6-4, and uh, they do have um, uh, Sundering. And then, you know, you have ways like Ours is the Fury to boost that to hit by one. Um, now, to go into Davos's, uh, go ahead and start with my favorite, and that's Parlay. So the big reason why you have this Dragonstone Noble in there is one, you know, I would say the two big reasons, but one, you know, he's cheap. He helps you get to that eight activations. But two, parlay. When a friendly unit activates, this unit cannot perform actions this turn. Target one enemy in short range, it activates but does not perform any actions. Um, if it's Davos's unit, you may have both units restore two wounds. But the that that part is not. It's not really meant for Davos. It's meant for you to take this four point Dragonstone Noble. Uh, that gets, uh, let's see if I'm reading, if I remember this correctly. So it's when a friendly unit activates means that you get to choose the order. You could then get the Dragonstone Noble's four inch maneuver uh, from its free maneuver for being cavalry, move within, uh, what was it, short range for parlay, and now your four pointer could turn off like their big unit, like, you know, it could be, I don't know, Drogo in, uh, in Blood Riders. And now, 
I wouldn't say necessarily turn off, but they become activated. So they no longer can do anything that turn. And if you have a double parlay, like if you have two in your hand, you can do it two rounds back to back. I mean, that could be game changing. Now, he also has fealty to the crown. He Really, that's, in my opinion, only going to really come in handy with the Bastard Scrolls. Nothing else in your list really has any, uh, like, panic-based stuff, but the Bastard Scrolls will have uh, Vicious on their melee attack. Um, so it is something to keep, you know, keep in mind because you already want to control the crown, so it gives you that little bonus if you have the crown. Not to mention, like I said, if your opponent only has two NCUs, this lineup of NCUs is really going to make sure you control exactly everything you want probably every round. And not only that, you know, you have Walder to trigger any zone uh, again uh, at the end of the round. Obviously, it has to be your last act activation. All right, and then... Um, I want to say that is most most of all like the combos. He does have uh, flea bottom tricks, which is really nice. Uh, after an enemy completes a melee attack, one friendly combat unit other than the defender, uh, they perform one maneuver action. Uh, if it targets Davos, it may pivot and perform a march. So, um, you know, this is something where uh, let's see. Um, it has no range, so I believe it's free folk. Uh, it has to be like within long range or whatnot. Um, so the important thing about this, what you can do, uh, you can bring on your outflank, if you have this card in your hand, keep in mind, but you can bring on your outflank uh, uh, Bastard Scrolls with Davos. Then um, if your opponent attacks something else, you can you can bring on the Bastard Scrolls on the far side, like way away from ever you know being hurt, and then play this card. And now you get to march twelve. You get to pivot, then march twelve um, over you know all the different terrain because you got the um, uh, was it the Pathfinder, uh, and this will really get them in position, you know, to really do some damage. Now. Let's see. Then he has a couple other cards that are really, you know, that are still, or one other card that's really good. So keep in mind that he will be getting rid of Final Strike. That is, I think, the number one biggest downside to him because Final Strike, as we talked about in our Tactics card uh, episode, is arguably one of the best cards in the game. Uh, and he takes it out for the flea bottom, flea bottom tricks, which is the one I just mentioned, the free maneuver. But he does have four tactics cards, so he has eight uh, in total that he provides to the deck. The last one is everything. It's just a heal card and uh, re re restoring a previously destroyed attachment. So it's uh, you know it's pretty it's it's an all right card uh, and it can't, or it, it's all right in most situations, but it can be really good uh, in this list. Really? You're just looking at if Davos or Braun were to die because that's the only two attachments. But like I said, you could definitely take out Walder and then um, put in like Roos, you know, throw some more panic tokens out there or something, or, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe find the, 
one point somewhere, but I don't see how you can run like Tyco or something. I don't know. Or you could just completely, you could just go to NCUs, run Alistair and Peter, take out Walder, and now you have four points to upgrade like the Wardens or something. I don't know. But overall, the the main bulk of the list would be um, girls, the Sentinels, and the Dragonstone Noble. Um, Alistair, Peter kind of having um, the ability to really get you any zones that you need. So what do you think? Yeah, I can dig it. Uh, Davos has been a, a favorite of mine, even though I, I don't, I haven't had Baratheons. I, I have never run Baratheons, uh, but I did recently purchase a uh, Baratheon lot. I'm just waiting on the shipping. Uh, I'm going to run Davos. I think he's, he's interesting. Now do, losing out on final strike to get fleet bottom tricks. It, it does suck. I, I won't deny it there. I did take seven wounds from a final strike to my watch captain sworn brothers last week, which was just absolutely delightful. Uh, but his suite of cards is, is really interesting. And you're also not expecting maneuvering shenanigans or, or outflank coming from Baratheons. So when that happens in the middle of your game, you're like, wait, how the hell did that unit get all the way over there? Uh, this is one of the reasons why. Now, Flea Bottom Drix is cool. It's like another version of uh, Sentinel uh, that allows you to, to, to move around, uh, even getting a, a potential march action from Davos's unit, which is, if he's in a unit that uh, could get into a place that, that you don't want him to be like Bastards Girls, uh, it, it's good stuff. I like everything because, like you said, it doesn't have a... Uh, distance requirement so you can move wounds around from anywhere on the field including an attachment so you could outflank Davos in with a unit and then if you had this in hand move him to a completely different unit giving it Pathfinder so if you happen to bring him in into a unit of Kingsmen that were initially behind a stake and your opponent's like, ha I'm safe. You're not going to charge in here with those Kingsmen. Well, now you've everythinged Davos over into that unit. Now he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, Fealty to the Crown, strong card. But Parlay, I'm with you on that one probably being his best card. Because, again, I've played Night's Watch. Night's Watch have to pay six points for the privilege of turning off a unit for the round. This isn't exactly turning it off for the round, but it is activating, which is almost the same thing. And in that, you have to sacrifice an activation because you can't have corn half-hand activated yet. You kill your six-point NCU, and you lose them for the rest of the game. Here, you just sacrifice an activation. That's it. And that unit is activated and probably stuck where it is. Uh, great card. If you can spend that uh, to to shut down their powerhouse unit with your cheap unit, like you said, with the Dragonstone Noble, uh, is, is, is great stuff. I, I really like his suite of cards. It's a curveball from what Baratheons normally like to do. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm with you. All right, back to me. So we'll go to another commander that takes probably the best card in his faction and tosses it for something else. We're going to talk about 
Strong Belwas and Targaryens. So Strong Belwas has to we'll, – we'll start with the negative. He has to take out field control. And as soon as players saw that, they immediately discounted Belwas. They're not going to give him the light of day because Targaryens love their field control. They're almost like free folk and mance. It's just they, 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 they are obsessed with their, with their OP nonsense. Uh, field control is silly. I don't even want to talk about field control because that's going to bring up the conversation that keeps getting brought up about how field control shouldn't actually work because of simultaneous actions. We're not getting into that again. But you take field control out of your deck and instead, which I know on these cards talk about removing a card from your deck, it's attached to a specific card. You shouldn't think of it that way. You're just removing one card and having four commander cards is not a one-for-one one exchange. So you can think of any of his four cards being the replacement for field control. But we'll talk about the first one, and that's a Pathetic Attempt. Uh, it is not so bad. It is uh, nearly, uh, well, not, not nearly, but... Uh, uh, here, let, let me let me switch gears real quick because I actually want to talk about a, a version of that that uh, could be interesting. So we'll actually talk about my list, what Belwas brings, and then we'll talk about the cards and how they synergize with the list. So first off, like I said, you drop field control, and Targaryens aren't necessarily infantry-centric. Their base deck doesn't really revolve around infantry. So commanders that tend to favor infantry uh, don't necessarily do very well. They can, but when you're bringing a bunch of infantry units and Targaryens, they tend to struggle a little bit. That's one of the reasons why Drogo is so strong. But I do, I do have an, a, a heavy infantry list, heavy meaning two infantry units, but that's heavy for Targaryens. Uh, I have Belwas and a unit of pikemen. I have Unsullied Swordmasters with an Unsullied Officer, a unit of Dothraki Screamers, a unit of Dothraki Outriders, Jorah Mormont Wandering Knight, Illyrio, and Daenerys Khaleesi. So when I was looking at this, I like the idea of, you know, Belwas' attachment has Taunt and Hardened. Now, Taunt, we've talked about a lot, is something that you can give and take, give or take. Uh, I think it's, it's worse when you have to pay points for it. When it's free and you find the right unit to put them in, I think Taunt can be okay. Because, uh, again, it's free. And it's coming with Hardened, which you can argue Hardened is, is almost the wor uh, worth the, the points for admission or the, uh, the price of admission on its own. I have that in Pikeman, mostly for the combination of Taunt, Set, Charge, I've talked about that before. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of set for charge as an ability, but when you combine it with taunt and you can potentially force an opponent into it, which, which they might not be ready for, in addition to some of Belos's cards, it can actually work out pretty well. First off, like I was talking about with Pathetic Attempt, uh, if you pass a panic test for being attacked attacker becomes panicked 
And then if the defender was Belwas, the attacker also suffers one wound for each of the defender's remaining ranks. So your opponent charges, or your opponent gets within short range, you trigger taunt. You have that unit charge in. They get attacked from separate charge. Then they attack you, and you pop shield wall. And you, they probably didn't do a whole lot of damage. And then they're taking wounds from pathetic attempt. That's a pretty solid combination. Now, if your opponent is able to stop cards or orders, it's going to be less reliable. But because you have taunt, you could potentially put your opponent in a situation that when they activate, they're going to maybe have to charge you, and they may not be ready to stop that order or tactics card. They may not have it in hand. They may not be prepared. You might be able to pull that combination off. Uh, Expert parry. Uh, again, really good for Belwas's unit because uh, you can stack that. Uh, well, let me see. Let me make sure before I say it. Uh, nope, you can't stack shield wall with expert parry. No, my mistake. Uh, they do have the same trigger. So potentially if you have already spent your shield wall and you're going to get attacked again, you might be able to spend expert parry to return hits for each one that you block. Uh, good dying is a, is a, is an interesting card. Uh, when you're about to be destroyed, before you're removed, you can perform a melee attack, and then if you destroy the enemy unit, you can stay alive with one rune to play. It's very similar to a Jon Snow card. And when you're thinking about that card, it, you, you have your sword masters that are really expensive. They go down fighting. So when your opponent makes that attack, let's say they knock off two ranks to finish off the unit, they have to take two wounds, and then you're throwing back six dice, which is some of the, one of the highest uh, attack die values at last rank. So you have a good chance of potentially staying alive, particularly with all of the abilities that the sword masters have with precision. They're always rolling and then your opponent can't spend defense tokens. So they're going to get a pretty decent attack back on that good dying. Um, but if it happened to be the Swordmasters, then they get plus two dice, or uh, the uh, the uh, Unsullied Pikemen with Belwas, they're going to get plus two dice anyway. Uh, again, bumping that up to six. You, you won't get as many bonuses from them, but just good options if your infantry is about to die. They've got that good dying uh, there to try to stay alive. And then Count the Cuts. <laughs> count the Cuts is an interesting card. Um, again, all of these have to do with, with melee attacks. Either you're getting attacked or you're doing the attacking. Uh, after the enemy completes the attack, if they destroyed a rank, you attach this card to the defender until that defender destroys an enemy with an attack. And then if you remove that card, you gain a victory point. While it's attached, you can't restore wounds, which is really rough because you've already lost a rank from the attack, uh, potentially more. And But you can't restore wounds, but you do get a bump to your morale, and its melee attacks always roll its highest attack die value. Now, this is massive in reference to the Unsullied units. Uh, so you're, you're going to be vulnerable and you might be worth an additional victory point because your opponent gets one victory point when that unit is destroyed if it's still attached to your unit. 
but always rolling your highest attack die value. I mean, Swordmasters are throwing eight with rerolls, even if they're at one rank. Um, and then your your pikemen are rolling seven, even if they're only at one rank. It, it's 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 that uh, that tightrope. It's that nice edge of are you going to stay alive or are you are you going to die? And when you have stuff like this, this is kind of a stark mechanic of becoming your most powerful and your most dangerous as you get on lower ranks. Um, it's it's an interesting game to play. So I, I understand why Belwas doesn't run very well, especially with that initial sticker shock of having to drop field control. But the cards and the the strategy behind them is not that bad. It, it actually is very similar to other factions that they want that wants to hit hard, and it's okay if you hit him hard because you're going to get some retaliation from it. Um, I, I I think it's fun, and I went with the other units other than the two unsullied units, uh, Screamers. Screamers are so solid at six points. So are the Outriders, adding in a ranged threat. So if you have a unit that is in this slugfest with your two unsullied units, having those Outriders to pick off any stragglers, if they're already in a weakened state, you can maybe pop in a few extra shots. If they're engaged with your sword uh, masters or your, your pikemen, you can shoot into combat with very little fear of your units failing panic tests from firing into combat. And then Jorah, again, three-point activation. He's potentially giving your uh, pikemen or your outriders uh, precision and rerolls. I mean, he's, he's worth having maybe floating around in the background. Now, this list does only feature two NCUs. Uh, I kind of wanted to bolster the field presence with uh, with Belwas. I, I think he, he's he's feeling having more uh, units around him. It's still capable of being uh, eight activations, one being a pseudo activation with the unsullied officer. But yeah, that's what I was thinking with with Belwas. He's he's in that area of probably being one of the worst and one of the least played, but it's not. It's not nothing. It's, it, he's not. Uh, he's not toothless. He is capable of of doing things in a game, and might be worth checking out if you want to uh, want to play around with some of his mechanics. What do you think? Uh, I think that if there was a third category of um, most annoying to play against, uh, he'd be way up there. And yeah. I am quite glad. I'm quite glad that he is the least played, um, because the only other Targaryen uh, commander I find more annoying than him is just Drogo, and that's just because of two simple things. One is uh, expert duelist, and then the other is uh, Atrevent or Atrevant, uh, just because it's so easy. Uh, of all the extra VP cars, it's one of the easiest, if not the easiest one. Um, but uh, uh, I can't tell you how many times, you know, Belwas and some pikemen, uh, you know, with the shield wall hardened and set for charge and taunt, um, and, uh, and then his retribution cards just make, you know, it, it's, you know, I've talked about uh, Tully Sworn Shields with a Mormont vet. Seven points, 
and you have the shield wall and the harden. The thing is, is that that unit can't really hit hard. It can't really do anything to you. So it's just a seven-point unit you ignore. Belwas and some pikemen, you almost literally can't ignore it because it taunts you into it and then forces you into its retribution cards. And just for you to do almost nothing, uh, because if you only attack it once, because shield wall is in order, but if you only attack it once, because of how shield wall and hardened uh, degrade and uh, increase, decrease and increase between the two, it's automatic block four hits at every rank. Um, now, granted, if you attack a second, third, fourth time, then only Harden's going to go through, but or going to uh, trigger. But that first attack, you don't even have to calculate. It's just it's block four at full rank, block four at second, block four at last, um, making the unit insanely hard to kill and insanely hard to ignore. Uh, you know, I can't. It's just I've had so many games where it's just super frustrating. Um, that like I don't have control over my own stuff because they're just constantly being forced to charge into this thing uh, instead of the normal um, strategy, which would be to ignore it. So, um, like I said, I am glad that he is probably the least played because other than Drogo, he is the uh, second uh, most annoying Targaryen commander for me anyways, personally. But I like, and with that said, I actually do like playing as him. Um, I think he's very unique of a, of a Targaryen commander. So, um, but yeah. All right. So I'm going to go with uh, next up, um, the one that I am super surprised is on here. Probably, if I recall, after looking at the list, the most surprised, like, by a lot. And that is Holland Reed for Starks. Uh, least picked. And it just, for me, it's crazy, because in my opinion, he's top three commander for Starks, you know, between, in my opinion, anyways. I don't know, maybe there's something out there some that I'm not aware of, but uh, him, uh, Great John, and Eddard, uh, I feel like are the top three. And I think the only reason that Eddard and Great John probably uh, eke uh, Holland out is just because of, you know, they're more consistent, whereas Holland is, uh, you know, dependent on the terrain and just some other factors. But with that said, uh, the list that I've ran pretty successfully with him is I have uh, Holland and Berserkers um, because Holland is giving that disrupt uh, gives them uh, the Kranigman um, affiliation and it gives them superior flanking so when a friendly unit in long range performs an attack before rolling attack dice the defender is in the flank or rear the defender becomes panicked and vulnerable um, now I just have a Another, I have a unit of Sworn Swords, no attachment. A unit of Krangman Trackers, no attachment, but that's so I can have another Krangman unit out there along with hidden traps. Um, then I have a unit of Stark Bowman with Mira Reed. Uh, another, so she'll give another hidden traps, but also affiliation Krangman. 
uh, and I'll mention why like the uh, having so much affiliation is uh, important for Holland, uh, in particular with these units. Uh, and then the last unit is House Bolton Bastard Girls with Jojen. Uh, Jojen is going to make them Kranigman as well, and he gives them Jojen's Green Sight. Each time this unit performs an attack or charge action, before re uh, resolving that action, it gains one of the following. May re-roll any attack dice, may re-roll any charge distance dice, and ignores the hindering rough keywords. Um, so the reason having these uh, uh, the affiliation is important is with uh, his cards. So one, Krennic Traps. If the, that enemy is in long range of a friendly Krennic, uh, when an enemy activates, if that enemy is within long of a friendly Krennic unit, it suffers minus one move, which could uh, um, stack with the hidden traps, which can now do minus one move. And then it's target one terrain piece until the end of the round. Enemies that uh, treat that terrain as having dangerous keyword. Um, super useful. Uh, it was, I believe, in our honorable, or my honorable, honorable mentions for best tactics cards out there. And um, that's really didn't make the top list just because it's very dependent on the terrain, depending on if you do, do player choice or random. But um, but this uh, card is amazing. Then we have Bog Devil Ambush. Now this is actually the number one reason why I have so much affiliation, and that's when an enemy unit activates, choose one. If that enemy is in long of a friendly Krangman unit, that enemy becomes weakened. Or target one friendly unactivated Krangman unit in long range, it performs one range attack uh, action on that enemy. So that's huge. It's really huge because now, if you get your Bowman with Mira or your House Bolton Bastard Scrolls with Jojen within long of any of their units, you know they're not going to be able to even activate them without you being able to play this card and then shoot them. And the the bigger one is the House Bolton Bastard Scrolls because you're going to be able to shoot them with uh, with their tracker bow. Uh, you know, four dice sitting on threes, then they become vulnerable. Then you can do charging volley and then charge into that unit that just activated and then attack them with their blades and fang. Uh, and this is all for free. Now, granted, the charging volley is in order, so you're not going to be able to do that multiple times um, in this list, but uh, they, they will have not even activated. And this is all on your opponent's turn right before they activated. Uh, and then the other important part about that is you have Jojen. Jojen. Both of Jojen's abilities are innate. So when they go to shoot, they get to re-roll any attack dice. So those four dice sitting on threes, re-rolls. Then when you go to charge, because because the charge itself gives you re-rolls and you're going to ignore hindering and rough, you just choose, when you charge, you choose the option of re-roll your charge distance. That way you can almost guarantee that you get in there into the, uh, into the charge, and now, now you have re-rolls on all your dice. You're not worrying about uh, any key, uh, the hindering of the rough keywords, and you're really going to capitalize on your opponent's activation. Um, and then even with that... Uh, you know, the Bowman is still a big deal uh, because your opponent could activate 
and you could use your bowmen that don't need line of sight to shoot. And then if your opponent fails that panic test from the arrow volley, um, they'll lose all order abilities, and until the end of the round, they become weakened. Uh, and then, um, when they after being shot, if obviously if you shot them, you're within long. Then if they choose any action, you use Mira with her hidden traps to do more hits. Uh, and then lastly, for his uh, Tactus cards, you have uh, the Threat Unseen. Now, partially this list was made to help make this card useful for me. Because, again, if you listen to that episode, this was on my uh, probably, I believe I, I named this as the worst card in the entire game. Um, and that's because it just had too much requirement. The Threat Unseen, start of any turn, target one enemy combat unit. If there is an unengaged, friendly, Kranigman unit in long range of that enemy, but not in line of sight, the enemy becomes panicked, then suffers one panic test. Now, keep in mind, with this list, I can stick my bowman completely behind my own unit, so I physically cannot see anything, which should, uh, if I'm not mistaken auto-trigger this as long as I'm unengaged and within long range because I'm not going to be in line of sight. Uh, but my bowmen don't care about line of sight, so I'm going to be able to shoot anyways. So now what I can do is start of the turn right before they activate, start of the turn, target that enemy, make them take this pank test with a pank token, take some wounds. Then they choose to activate them, bog devil ambush, shoot them, Okay, now they're going to choose to maneuver or charge or something. Okay, now Mira, hidden traps. Like, you have so much control over your opponent, and not to mention you have two units that have long range, and then the Kragman Trappers still have short-range uh, shooting. And to kind of hold your center ground, you have your House Umber Berserkers with Howland. So the House Umber Berserkers, I mean, you, it's... A 5-up with a 5-up and unyielding is pretty defensible on top of the fact that they have Disrupt because of Holland. Also keep in mind that if you can uh, play Bog Devil Ambush with Housebolt and Bastard Scrolls when your opponent isn't uh, realizing it and you're able to uh, shoot and then charge in the flank and then get triggered by uh, superior flanking from Holland to get panicked and vulnerable, I mean, that's just going to be ruin their day even more. And so and to round out this list, I have Sansa and Peter. See, the importance of Peter is not necessarily for the once-per-game part, though that could be useful for some of the tactics cards for Starks. It's to be able to cover the... Um, the wealth zone and trigger the free attack because you have all these ranged units. Especially if your opponent doesn't have any ranged units, you're going to then force them to have to cover and or replace that attack zone so that you don't then take it again with your next NCU, which would be Sansa. Now Sansa is key here because she's going to let you be able to either recur Kranig traps or Bog Devil ambush over and over and over. Could you imagine every single time your opponent goes to activate their unit, you're throwing a Bog Devil ambush out at them? I mean, it would get quite annoying, especially if it's Bastard Girls that are doing it. Now, granted, Bastard Girls with Jojen, it's a hefty cost. It's nine points, but it's doing a lot of damage. Now, 
you're going to have to be careful with it. You don't want to just like throw it out there, but you can really capitalize on your opponent if they don't have certain uh, pieces or certain elements to their list to help avoid all this range. What do you think? I love Howland. He he's, he is so fun, and it is surprising to me that uh, that he is not uh, not as played as much as other commanders are. Uh, that well, let me take that back. It, it's not really surprising to me because he does require a little bit of a change in play style. He is not a commander that fits the see enemy, hit enemy play style or C point, sit point play style. He requires quite a bit of setup and uh, some some foresaw, uh, forethought and how you're going to be aligning your trays, how you're setting up. But if you like that type of play style, if you like the more cerebral of uh, planning, you know, multiple moves ahead, He's the commander for you. He is super strong. Kranig uh, Traps, I've always loved this card. Saying that this uh, forest here is now dangerous if you decide to move through it. If you're trying to hide your unit from my ranged units by tucking in your unit inside of a forest, uh, now if you move, you're going to be taking wounds. Uh, Sansa can get that back and a unit could be stuck in a train piece and not be able to do anything and, and suffer wounds for the entire game. Um, the, uh, the Bog Devil Ambush, also great card. I mean, anytime you can get extra attacks. Uh, Threat Unseen, yeah, like, like you said before, it's a little bit on the weaker side, but anytime you can deal wounds uh, outside of your turn. In fact, Everything that he does is outside of your turn. And we talked about how important the action economy is in this game. You're going to be able to do stuff on your turn, obviously. I mean, that's what your turns are for. But you can do being able to do stuff on your opponent's turn and manipulate uh, what their game plan was, and now they have to change it, or being able to deal direct wounds to your opponent on their turn and then after their turn is over, being able to implement your game plan, it's so strong. It's, it's, it's really uh, what a lot of strategies are about, of maximizing uh, your turn economy. And Howland is great at it. I love him. I wish I could play him more. I just don't play that many Starks right now. But it, it's good stuff. I really like him. All right. I think I have my last commander to go over. And I did uh, disparage neutrals a little bit at the start of the show. Uh, I know there are some diehard neutral players out there, and the vast majority of them are not going to be running this commander. He is probably the weaker of the pure neutral commanders. But I think I have a list that just absolutely leans heavily into one game plan, and if it works, he's going to win. Uh, if the game plan doesn't work, he's going to get slaughtered. But it's Dario Naharis. Uh, Dario Naharis, uh, yeah, he's he's on the on the weaker side of of the the neutral commanders. His cards aren't quite as strong as some of the other ones. I know Vargo's really popular. Bruce is really popular. Ramsey's pretty good. Uh, but Dario, uh, let's look at the list that I came up with. I basically said 
uh, I need to own the bag and good things will happen for me. So I have Dario in a unit of Bastards Girls. I have a Stormcrow Lieutenant in a unit of Stormcrow Dervishes. I have another Stormcrow Lieutenant in a unit of Stormcrow Mercenaries. I have a unit of Hedge Knights. And my NCUs are Peter, Bruce, and Varus. Every single unit in the list requires the, well, it doesn't require, but benefits from owning the wealth zone. Now, Peter is vital in that situation, being able to own the wealth zone. But you do have the benefit of probably one of Dario's weaker cards, but because you're so heavily leveraged for the wealth zone, it actually is a little bit better in that sellsword negotiations. Uh, friendly NCU claims a zone. You can replace that zone's effect with you count as controlling the bag. And you can restore two wounds to a friendly combat unit. If it's a Storm Crow unit, you can restore plus one wound for each of the destroyed ranks. With three Storm Crow units in the list, you get pretty good benefit out of that card. Uh, Cell Sword Bravado, uh, Morale Test, if you succeed, unit in long range becomes Panic to Weakened. Not quite as good as War Cry, but still you know, pretty decent. And with the extra Storm Crow units in the list, you gain plus two to your rolls. So that takes their pretty poor morale from the dervishes and the mercenaries and bumps it up. And then the bastards girls morale is pretty good. Uh, and then reckless strikes. Reckless strikes is probably Dario's best card, uh, gaining critical blow and precision on a melee attack. And then for every roll of one, you suffer a wound. And then if it's a storm crow unit, you get to roll your highest attack die value. Uh, and then Dario's, uh, Attachment abilities, uh, improved armaments, uh, controlling the bag, you gain sundering and re-roll your highest, and you can roll your highest attack die value, and then motivated by coin. We've seen that before. Get a free attack if you claim the bag zone and replace its effect. That right there, motivated by coin on a unit of Bastard Girls, is actually pretty wild because you're also giving Bastard Girls sundering on their melee attack, which is pretty nice. So you have a free attack, uh, free potential charging volley with a vulnerable token and sundering and vicious. And then you also still have your activation to work with. Really strong combination. Uh, we've been talking about dervishes, uh, if they're worth bringing or not. I did in this scenario because I wanted another storm in it. And uh, the... The, manu the maneuvering shenanigans you can pull off with dervishes are actually pretty fun. Um, I'm not sure if this combination here is worth as much as a unit of Flayed Menace. Probably isn't. But, again, wanted another Stormcrow unit in there. I kind of want to play with dervishes a little bit, see. Because uh, if there's a list of least-run units in the game, I want to say that dervishes is probably towards the top of the list. Uh, they're just they're widely overlooked, and I think one of the only reasons why is their morale value is seven. I think if their morale was better, make them a little bit less squishy, they might get uh, brought more often. You do have a little bit of overlap. You typically don't want to take multiple units with motivated by coin, but that's a unfortunate side effect of the Stormcrow units in the game right now. Just about every single one of them have motivated by coin. Uh, dervishes, mercenaries, Dario attachment, all of them have it. 
And then Hedge Knights, I wanted a, uh, a cavalry unit, and Hedge Knights is really good. If you own the bags, they become pretty tanky, uh, pretty worthwhile in the list. So you have your range unit covered, and you have a cavalry unit covered. I do like to have a good mixed army of both infantry, cavalry, and range. Uh, mercenaries, just really to, to fill the spot again with another Stormcrow lieutenant. Uh, giving mercenaries uh, Sundering is pretty decent. Uh, makes them uh, hit pretty well. Again, also having motivated by coin, potential extra attacks if they happen to be the only one engaged. Uh, Peter, got to have it with the need for zone control. Uh, Roos, really the only reason why Roos is because there's such a, a limited amount of four-point NCUs in neutrals right now. And then Varus. Varus, I, I kind of want to take Varus in, in other factions uh, more often. I think that he is kind of undervalued right now. You can get a lot of benefits from your opponent. Again, uh, taking advantage of your opponent's actions and them benefiting you, uh, Varus can do that. It is limited four times a game, but you can get benefit from your opponent's gaming zones. That's it's it's really good. So that's what I was thinking with this. This is probably uh, the list of of the list that I have suggested today of least run commanders. This is probably w one of the ones that I have the least amount of faith in, just because neutrals have always been in a in a rough place. Running pure neutral uh, neutral units being on a lower power curve than than maybe they should be for the points that they are. But just revolving around the bag, and if you do own the bag, supercharge all of these units at once, they're actually a pretty legitimate threat and actually could uh, pull off some some interesting things in a game. But if you don't have the bag, you're in trouble. That's it, it's, it, it's an all-or-nothing list. Uh, what do you think about Dario here? I think uh, me and you have two different uh, ideas what Dario is meant for, and my idea is him and Bastard Girls, three flayed men, Tycho and Littlefinger. You know, because <laughs> can never <laughs> can never go wrong with three flayed men, right? <laughs> no, uh, um, yeah, I like your I like your list. As you were saying, I think the only thing that's kind of the oddball is the uh, is the dervishes, and but I see why you have them in there. I mean, they're they have such cool models and I like the idea behind them um, I think they're just missing a little something um, I think I, I really hope that Simon uh, takes a look at them in the next patch for you know things that they kind of give a boost to because uh, I mean I've played so many games so many and the number of times I've s seen dervishes played and or used less than five um, you know, between me and my opponents, uh, it's and it's sad. You know, it they're they don't really have a place almost anywhere. Um, so I I really hope uh, you know Simon kind of takes a look at them, sees and look and to see what uh, they can kind of you know sh give to them or show them some love. But uh, I think Dario is awesome. Um, I would agree. He's uh, 
he's probably the weakest and you know understandably uh that's probably why he's the least used granted for me personally i like dario a lot i think uh i personally like him better um he's probably my you know granted there's only four commanders but he's probably my second just behind roos um because i'm not a huge ramsey fan even though he's he's pretty good and vargo um if built uh us you know with the bloody mummer units is also really good i don't know they're just they're not really my style i really like dario and like the whole aspect of what the storm crow lieutenants are doing and uh even just the mercenaries and or uh um the bowmen so and then the hedge knights just kind of like you you have them in the list and they just kind of mesh really well with the storm crow uh units so um i think the only difference of our lists would be um i'd probably put uh put him in some um just to try to get uh eight activations i'd probably put him in some um house bolton uh blackguard and then you know run like two uh two archers two mercenaries and then like three ncus or something like that um but uh you know i i like you know his one card that lets you uh replace his own and basically count as controlling the bag um you know that uh self sword negotiations you know between peter and that and then just the the normal fact of you should be able to control it three times a game by just claiming it um that you know between those two cards peter's once per game and then just claiming it before your opponent can the three rounds you go first you can almost guarantee that you have it every single round to trigger all your effects or i would say at least you know you should see at least one of those two uh cards at some point uh, on your op- uh, opponent's turn where they take the bag from you that uh that you should be able to at least guarantee it five rounds uh out of the game if you really needed it so um you can really you know with that said you can really count on those abilities like it won't be this uh am i going to have it you know and then peter also will let you take that money bag and then use a different zone if you if you need to um all right, so last up, save the best for last, and that is the Greyjoys, one and only Eric Ironmaker. This guy has given me headaches um, with his. Uh, he has an awesome concept. Don't get me wrong; I love the concept of what he does. It just does not work on the field the way like it seems like it would on paper so with that said i have built uh, a list that has performed moderately well with him uh, and that's to i've built the list completely around him i know a lot of times you build lists with a like a big chunk of it surrounding your commander but i mean i'm talking every uh thing i could capitalize on really helping him i did so um i went um more of the horde uh route with Greyjoys, so i have eight activations so what i did was i actually put eric ironmaker in bowman uh the reason being is he does not provide anything to the actual unit he's in um meaning you know there's no point in putting him in a unit that's going to run up into your opponent's face so 
he has the order just just shares, um, just as in like the just thing to do, not oh, it's just shares, if that makes sense to anyone listening out there. So just shares, start of any turn, target one friendly combat unit in long range, move one pillage token from that unit to one other friendly unit with pillage in short range of that unit. And then he also has gifts of silver and bronze. At the start of the game, target one friendly unit with pillage. It gains one pillage token. So then I have three units of reavers, all with war swarms. And so these are my work horse uh, units. These are my units that even though reavers aren't like super survivable, like they're not like, or I shouldn't say survivable, they're not super defensive, uh, those war swarms really help keep them in the game longer. And with three of them, I can really make sure that if one goes down, I still got some more to cover up, uh, you know, some of the gaps. And then I have two trappers. One is with Asha. It's just kind of like staple. Um, you know, she's going to provide that war cry and, um, you know, give the trappers a bit more survivability. Uh, the funny thing is, is that for me, the survivability to the trappers is more important than the war cry, even though I'm pretty sure most other people would flip-flop that. Um, I just, I like the idea of the trappers, but it just, you know, the idea that, you know, you could just, you know, sneeze on them and they would die is what kind of <laughs> makes me worried about them. And then last uh, unit I have, is, or combat unit I have, is another trapper with Euron Greyjoy. So Euron's going to let you uh, have strange relics um, and poisoned gifts. Poisoned gifts is where the unit will deploy with two pillage on them. When it performs an action, before resolving that action, it suffers one wound. And then the order strange relics is when this unit activates, it can suffer a wound to target one enemy, and along that, uh, they gain one condition token. So between Euron uh, and Asha with the war cry, and then the trapper's um, just normal ability, the trapper's tools, once they get pillage on them, I can be tossing out a ton of tokens with these two units. Uh, granted, the trapper's tools has to be engaged, but Asha and Euron is going to be able to throw those tokens out. Now, the idea behind it is I'm going to deploy the units, and uh, I'm going to start of the game, put one the um, Eric's uh, pill free pillage from Gift of Silver and Bronze on one of the Reavers. Then, uh, start of any turn, so it doesn't matter if I go first, my opponent goes first, I'm going to immediately use his order just shares and take one of the pillage off of Euron and put it on another Reaver unit. Now that I'm starting the game with two Reaver units, each with a pillage, this is to help supplement the fact that you can't run uh, your best or uh, uh, or second best, depending on who you ask, um, NCU, which is Eric NCU. Then, start of the next round, so to start of round two, I'm going to move that other trapper uh, pillage over to the third reaver unit. Now, starting of round two, all three of my reavers have one pillage. They are now all hitting on threes or better. Uh, that also means that when they charge in to my opponent, they're more than likely with the hitting on threes and seven dice and thundering, going to take out four wounds, going to give them that second pillage. Uh, then I can start moving those pillage back onto the trappers. Once I know that the reavers are putting in the work to 
fuel their own panic tokens. Now, granted, it sounds like you're going to be able to do like a ton. It is still only going to be one per turn, but also remember that Eric is going to be in Bowman. So those Bowmen are going to be able to pick off some wounds and then also transfer some more pillage onto your units. And then for the NCUs, I have Wendemir, uh, because, you know, you can't run Eric, and Wendemir is uh, arguably the best NCU anyways for um, for Greyjoys. But also running uh, Roderick Harlaw. So the reason Eric, you know, I just mentioned, like, these this kind of cool combo going on with all the moving around these pillage tokens. The downside to him is all three of his tactics cards uh, require you to remove pillage tokens to get any effects. Um, now, with that, uh, with that in mind, that means three of your, uh, or I should say six of your 20 cards um, require, you, require you to remove pillage, uh, from if you're just counting his cards. But then in the base deck, you have uh, the Iron Price, which requires you to remove pillage. And where is it? Uh, is that the only one? You'd think I would know this. I play them so much, but I felt like there was another one. But I guess not. So eight of your 20 cards are going to require you to remove pillage to even get effects. Now, there will be a little help with that because, uh, what is it, um, Raiding Call does let you transfer pillage and or give you a free pillage if anyone controls the Wealth Zone. Uh, so... But his first card is uh, remove a pillage, uh, and you may re remove one pillage token from the defender. This is after your unit is attacked. Uh, and if you do, you block uh, D3 hits. Um, and then his other one is remove any number of pillage. For each one removed, you can either reroll any attack dice, gain precision, gain vicious, and his last one is remove one pillage token. If you do, you can automatically pass a morale test. This is after rolling dice. Now, all three of them do stipulate that the remove token still counts for any effects happening during the attack. Now, this would be an important for, like, uh, iron makers would still have their save um, for the remainder of that uh, attack, uh, or not to up save, but they would have the, the defense bonus based on however many pillage, um, or for attacking, like uh, Reavers would still have their plus to hit for every pillage, even if you were to expend them for uh, the one where you can get rerolls, precision, or vicious. Now, the one thing I will say, this kind of goes back to when we're talking about price of failure with um, with um, fuel by slaughter. You know, fuel by slaughter will let you heal more the more you do uh, in wounds. Um, or the more ranks that are missing from the enemy. And so you'll be able to you throw that card out there knowing that um, you'll be able to then just heal it back. That's sort of the same concept with the Steel's Might. That's the game that rerolls Precision or Vicious. If you spend any of your Pillage to get all these effects while still gaining your plus to hit, let's say if it's Reavers, you could then be pushing through all that damage to then just get your Pillage right back. Um, or even uh, allure, uh, gold, Gold's Allure, uh, your morale in this list is not amazing, so automatically passing the test uh, is still really strong. You know, expending one pillage 
uh, to stop, you know, potentially three or more wounds, depending on what it is that's doing the panic to you, uh, is, can definitely be worth it. Or even blocking D3 hits. So these effects are great. Problem with them is that uh, they, you know, if you see these cards too early and you don't have a lot of pillage, you're really, you're working really hard to get to play these cards and get your effects uh, to really get established with your uh, pillage. And that's where Roderick Harlaw as your second MC really comes in handy. So what he is doing is he begins the game with two order tokens. At the start of any turn, you may remove one order token from Roderick. If you do, place any number of tactics cards from your hand to the side. Then draw one plus that many cards. Then shuffle the cards that you set aside into your tactics deck. So this is like a, a super mulligan. Uh, so if you draw, like if you draw your first, your starting hand and it's just a bunch of his name cards or just cards in general that require you to expend pillage, you have him for that reason. You are going to be able to um, put those cards aside, uh, draw some new cards, and shuffle them back in for a later use. Um, this will really help you kind of get established with your pillage before you have to start spending them. So that is my go with, or that is my uh, rendition of the Eric Ironmaker. What do you think? You there, Cyrus? Hello? Sorry about that. I was muted. So, <laughs> all right. So, Eric is a bit rough. Of all of the commanders that we talked about tonight, he might have the least potential, but he's not completely worthless. It's, it's tough. He needs access to more pillage tokens. In fact, if his commander attachment worked a little bit more like his NCU did, where he had uh, pillage tokens on his attachment card, and then every time he activated, he got to hand one out, similar to the effect that he has when he claims the NCU board, uh, he, he might be able to, to have access to a little bit more, might make it more worthwhile. But just handing out one at the start of the game and then just moving them around on, on in the field yeah, that's that's not quite as much as you'd want when you're you're probably having to spend so many. So if you if you are doing that, then yeah, you're going to need an aggressive list. You're going to need a, a list that's going to go out there and going to knock off ranks so you can accumulate as many pillage tokens as possible. And if you're going to play that way, Eric Eric can get you some miles because, like you said, that gold's allure being able to just auto pass a panic test that's good stuff. Because that applies to any panic test, no matter how Mel many res yeah, no matter how many resources <laughs> that they have put into it, if they've spent a panic token, if they have played cards, if they've used abilities to try to stack it, if it's on a Lannister supremacy check or or a there's too many check that has been stacked with then supremacy for F's sake, uh, they can stack as much as they want. You the pillage tokens you get to pass it that, that's a great card on its own and and easily worth the pillage token that you have to spend uh the other effects i thought we were getting away from d3 effects 
and even every now and then they still pop up their ugly head. Uh, Iron's endurance of blocking <laughs> D3, D3 hits. Uh, it's great if it's three. If it's one, it's not worth it at all. Uh, and the average being two is okay. Uh, you just you, you hate having to spend a token on that. And then Steel's Might, eh, re-rolls or Precision or Vicious on the attack, it can help. Uh, but again, if, if you're starved for Pillage Tokens, if this is like your last Pillage Token on this unit and once you spend it, now you're back to hitting on fours or you're back to saving on fours, uh, it, it doesn't feel very good. So I can see why Eric is not played uh, very very highly uh, or at all. I, I think he might have had the lowest pick rate of all the, all the commanders that we went over today. But if you have the right list, and I thought that your list was pretty good, and you play aggressively and you're knocking off ranks and you're stacking up pillage tokens, uh, you can get some mileage out of Eric, even though he might be a little lacking right now. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's funny because even though he, he's probably one of the, you know, you know I, I hate using the word worst, but he's one of the worst commanders out there and he just he doesn't seem to synergize on the field well. But it's funny, though, because I think he's so close. So a lot, of these, a lot of his cards, if they just had a base effect, even if it was something super small. So let's say, for example, the block hits one. If it just simply said block one hit, and then you get additional stuff if you spend pillage, that would still be something. Uh, or even like the Steel's Might, it would be like get one effect, and for every token you remove, get one more. So that way you could get all three effects if you remove both pillage tokens. Now, because you have to remember, like for the people that don't that are listening that don't play Greyjoys, spending these pillage means you're actively making your units weaker to then get these uh, these permanent effects that make your guys stronger to get a temporary one-time buff from this card. Um, so, if, for example, uh, blocking D3 hits. Is blocking D3 hits one time worth having one less armor save forever until you get another pillage token. And sometimes pillage is easy to come by. As as you were saying, Cyrus, you if you play an aggressive list, sometimes that can be pretty easy. Um you'll be they'll be popping everywhere like, you know, it's candy on Halloween. Other times you're just like you're you're facing an all Dothraki list and you have to take out six wounds to reduce a rank and you know, you're you're not really seeing any of this pillage come anywhere. So I think just like very basic small uh, effects in addition to when you spend the pillage, you get something. So let's say, uh, you know, the the morale one would just be uh, if you uh, after rolling dice, if you fail or whatever, you can re-roll, and if you spend a pillage, you just automatically pass. Um, or and then and then I would just say on his base effect. Um, start the game with two pillage. 
but they both have to go to a different unit. You can't put them both on the same unit. I think change all those little things, and he turns from one of the worst uh, commanders, easily the worst in, in my opinion, in Greyjoys, to a very competitive. Um, you know, he's not going to be the best with those changes, but he's going to be up there. You know, he'll be he'll be usable, and people will start to like kind of the mechanic. So I don't know. Uh, you know, it's just kind of wish listing there because I like the idea behind him a lot. You know, kind of, I put a lot of thought into this list and tried it out uh, a handful of times. And like I said, it, it's it's done decent. Um, but you know, I like the idea behind it, so I would really love to see if they if they you know somewhere in the future give him a little love and just small little boosts across his tactics cards and him. You know, like I said, it doesn't have to be anything major. I think they they're on the right path with him, but. He's just lacking a little something. All right, so um, we are winding down to the end of the show. Uh, Cyrus, uh, so I'll let you uh, kind of give your final thoughts on, on today's episode. So I think this was fun. Uh, we can talk about the most powerful and the, and the most used and the, and the meta all day, and I actually think that that's actually a pretty easy conversation to have uh, you can look at the top of stats and see which unit is performing the most and the ones that we see the most. And, and it makes you want to pull your hair out when you see them because they're so commonly brought. That we could have done. I like the inverse of that. I like talking about things that maybe aren't getting seen and maybe uh, things and combinations that you might not have thought about before, uh, particularly new players who may see the discussions that are being had about the the super powerful stuff and and oh if you just started the game you need to run this and get that and don't even think about these other things because they're not very good uh that's fine you know if if that's the the viewpoint that you want to have for the game you know i'm, I'm not going to say that it's wrong i mean that's how you want to play the game but that, that might not be for everybody. Maybe everybody, or maybe maybe certain people have a different play style and 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 things that they like a little bit more, uh, and a different approach that they want to to come into the game with. So being able to put a spotlight on some of the things that just you know aren't seeing the table as much, and uh, maybe maybe showing people it's like, hey, you know that that uh, commander that has been dismissed as not being very good. It actually could have some potential if you actually give it a chance. I like conversations like that. And uh, I like the opportunity. I, I, I want to shout out the person that, uh, that suggested it, but for some reason I cannot find who that was without spending several minutes on it. And we only have a couple minutes left in the episode, but uh, whoever <laughs> it was that suggested this topic, thanks. I think this was a good one. Yeah, I agree. It, uh, you know, the initially thinking about like the topic, it was like, ah, oh, well, you know, sometimes topics don't kind of like pop out to you right away. And even then, like until you really start talking about them, especially when you talk about them with someone else, do they really start to kind of shine? Um, you know, sometimes you, you know, you, you ever had like that person that like throws out that idea and you're like, oh, oh you know. 
that's okay. But, but then you really give it a try, and it, it really turns out to surprise you. I think this was one of those episodes for me. Um, you know, and I want to just mention to everyone out there, you know, definitely try to experiment. You know, think of some of these commanders that maybe let's say let's let's say stats aside, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire stats dot com aside on all and everything on there. Let's just say you and your play, uh, gaming group. Um, think of what isn't really used ever uh, as far as a commander, and really just try to you know, theory craft and really try to come up with some really cool list that makes them shine. Uh, and maybe just try it over and over because sometimes um, making a list work just comes down to playing it enough times to learn how it's supposed to work. You know, learn the intricacies of of the commander and what, you're, what you need to do and how you need to play it. Because sometimes, like, certain little strategies won't come to you until you've played enough games with it. And then what, once you've mastered it, especially if it's something that your opponents aren't used to, you, you know, you'll have an edge in the sense that they're, you know, they're going to be caught off guard. You know, it's going to be this thing that they're not used to. Now, granted, they might eventually get used to it, but then that's when you kind of, you know, think, think about another commander that you can kind of do it with. Um, you know, I've done that a handful of times that have really come out to surprise a handful of people, and it's always really rewarding. So I would, uh, I would highly suggest that for anyone uh, listening. So with that said, we'll jump into our shout-outs. As always, I love shouting out uh, Sunday Slaughter. Uh, in my opinion, not to you know say any others aren't amazing because uh, there's definitely a lot of amazing battle reports out there. But me personally, my fav- favorite battle reports are Sunday Slaughter. They, he uh, Chris uh, Tran does an amazing job uh, with editing those and doing all that stuff. So definitely check out his channel if you haven't already. He's on YouTube and they do do uh, some uh, podcasts once in a blue moon, and those are also super entertaining. Uh, Cyrus, how about you? Any uh, shout-outs? So we do have a couple events coming up here in Kansas City. Uh, just a, a minor tournament here this month, just a maintenance tournament, keeping uh, everybody's uh, skills up. It's probably going to be pretty light uh, and on the on the lower key side. But here in the next month or two, our store is actually having a miniature palooza where they're getting all the miniature games together and having – uh, just this big, huge uh, convention at the store. And I'm going to be running along with Kurt, uh, Song of Ice and Fire, and we're doing two tables of uh, thematic events. We're going to have the Attack on the Wall featuring a mixture of Free Folk versus Night's Watch, and then we're also doing the Battle of Blackwater. We're going to break out big, huge pieces of terrain, uh, and it's it's not going to be competitive. It's going to be purely uh, thematic fluff. Uh, might throw in some curveball rules in there. Probably going to be using uh, the Storm of Swords uh, game mode as a template. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait. Uh, we're still finalizing all the details. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be fun to just have this huge, big uh, uh, series of brawls uh, for uh, just – just uh, regular people that happen to be enjoying the con that may not even be aware of the game. Uh, it's going to be fun. Oh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an awesome time. Everybody keep an eye out for those events. With that said, everybody, I appreciate all of you. This is the small council radio and it is dismissed. 
are still here.